So we've had a beautiful summer looking at 11 of the 59 one another's in scripture. And so you can keep going. There's a lot more, but we're going to stop today. Uh, We've also leaned into gently the discipline of neighboring. And it is a spiritual discipline, how to be a really good neighbor. And so our final summer, one another, is found in Colossians chapter 3 and then from Ephesians. And I want to let you know right off the top, it is not a hard one at all. It's not hard to understand, nor is it hard to teach. It's just a little tricky to do. Okay, Colossians 3, verses 15 to 16 says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Pause. That should invite a question. What else rules your heart? Is it peace? So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly. Or let the word of of Christ dwell in you richly. Everyone say, dwell richly. Teaching, here's our last one, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, this is what we just did, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Admonishing one another is our final one that we want to look at just for a few moments today. Admonishment is found about 18 times in the New Testament, and it primarily means to put into someone's mind or to give someone something to ponder. If you read it carefully, what admonishment is, it is often in this context. It is helping those who don't yet know what they don't yet know, know about what they don't know. That's what, that's what admonishment is, okay? Really, it, I told you it's a little tricky. It's, it's not complicated, though. How many of you don't know stuff? Can I see your hands, please? Great. Those of you who didn't put your hand up, arrogant individuals you are. <laughs> How many of you don't know stuff? Not me. <laughs> I just joke with you. Okay, we all don't know stuff, and we don't know stuff usually until we discover that we don't know stuff. And then when we discover that we don't know stuff, we have this choice that we make, which some of us go, I don't know. And other of us will go, yeah, I knew that, when you didn't really know that. You ever been in a conversation with someone, they start talking, you have no idea what they're talking about, but you just go along. Can I see your hands, please? Well done practicing the discipline of neighboring. Turn the person beside you and say, I do it every single Sunday. No idea what you're talking about up there, I just go along with it. You tell me to say amen, I say amen. So that's what it is. The scripture in Colossians should be read alongside another one in the book of Ephesians that says, look carefully then at how you walk. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful instruction. What a beautiful admonition. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it says this, do not get drunk with wine, Do not get drunk with beer. Do not get drunk with spirits. Do not get high on pot. Do not get, like, you can just keep going here. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Notice the difference? Don't get high on inferior things. Don't get drunk on inferior things. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another again in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you get a bonus one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so both of these scriptures, they have striking similarities, but they have subtle differences. And so when we admonish someone, we should exhort them, we should counsel them, we should instruct them, and we should teach them. And how many of you know that all of this takes time? 
that we don't learn something right away. Oftentimes we learn in one of two ways. We learn through uh, active mentorship and we learn through the mistakes that we make, the life experiences that we accumulated. I learned I don't wanna do that again or I don't wanna do it in this way. And so admonishment really is this blanket or umbrella word that is to exhort, to counsel, to instruct, and to teach. And if all of these prove ineffective, as a last resort, we are to warn our brothers and sisters. Remember, brothers and sisters in the scriptures from the place of equality. If you try to warn someone and you're coming from a top-down position, not gonna work. If you try to warn someone but you feel that you're inferior, this is also gonna be a problem. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, at the last resort, we warn one another. Now, here's what biblical admonishment is not. It is not giving others a piece of your mind. That's not what it is. Nor is it seeking to control or ever manipulate others. It's never what biblical admonishment is. When we're teaching, when we're exhorting, when we're counseling, when we're instructing, and even when we're warning, it is never to control or manipulate one another's. And so as I prepared for this week, I had a concern and two layers that I want to walk through, and then devotionally, that's pretty much what we're going to have time to do today. And so as I reflect on admonition, that doesn't mean we're done quick, by the way. Give Give me like 18 minutes here and we'll get done. Some of you are like literally they set a timer. Okay, I'll stop talking and I'll get to it. So as again, as I reflect on admonition, I have a concern, a pastoral concern that I just want you to think about. And then two layers deep idea for how biblical admonishment could look in a healthy church or a healthy church community. Here's the concern. You and I now live in a world where we have never had this much access to information. Never. In the history of humanity, we have never had access to this level, volume of information. As a result of there being so much information, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but humanity amplifies words on the positive end of things and on the negative things end of things. In order to cut through the volume, we amplify I've used one example a few weeks ago that everything is, you have to have like the best Sunday ever. That's a lot of pressure. And then the next one has to be better. Hey, have the best Thursday ever. Why can't it just be Thursday? When did Thursday just become bad, right? When did ordinary become a terrible thing? But also too, if you listen to the language, everything is heightened. So anyone that we disagree with is toxic. Anyone that anyone disagrees with, they're toxic. Doesn't necessarily mean that they may have elements of toxicity in them, but we use this overinflated language. So I want you just to think about how overinflated language is shaping you. Lori and I were having a discussion that had intensity to it because we had disagreement. And in our discussion that had intensity, we were fighting is what I'm seeing, by the way, but in our, <laughs> in our discussion that had intensity because we were disagreeing with it, I said to her, you always. And she, look at, look at all you Nancy critics over here, Ned critics. <laughs> and she said, I always. <laughs> and I paused and said, I am sorry. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) She did not, and I'm still a little hurt on the inside, but 
No, I kid. But I noticed that even my, to convey what I was trying to say, I used elevated language. And it was entirely unhelpful. In fact, it, it was the landmine that could have taken the conversation, had she not been mature, in a direction that we would never have got to the issue. We would have just danced around my stupidity around it, okay? So that's a concern. H how is elevated language forming you? How's it forming you? How's it forming 25% of Life Center? How's it forming the next generation? It's a concern I have. Level one, let's go to there. I'm pretty familiar when I'm sitting with somebody what they're saying, and hopefully they get familiar with what I'm saying. If that's all that happens, biblical admonition has not happened. If you know my opinions and I know your opinions, and if I counsel you in my opinions and you tell me your opinions, that's just an exchange of opinions. Biblical admonition is when you and I leave room for God's opinion. It is not my words and your words, it is ultimately what is God's word say into the situation. This is what biblical admonition is. So biblical at level one is creating space for God's word to speak to our hearts. This is an example of what authentic biblical admonition can sound like, that I have truly listened to your thoughts and your perspectives and your words on any subject. But in context, what does God's word say about that? And let's reflect on that. Let's let that instruct and counsel and teach us. And yeah, even if we get so far, let it warn us. But level two, level two though, is that we create space for the Holy Spirit in those moments to speak to our motives. And so when the teaching, counsel, and instruction, exhortation, and warning is accurate, that's a good thing. How many of you want God's word in context? I do too. I don't want it out of context. There's plenty of that around. Got to fix my shirt. I got caught on my belly. There's plenty of shirt around. Still a little wet from the baptisms down there. But biblical admonition is two layers deep. Layer one is... We give room for God's word. Layer two is this. It's not enough to just give room for God's words. Your motive of why you're giving the counsel, the instruction, the exhortation, my motive or the warning, it matters. In other words, how I'm saying what I'm saying is not of equal importance to God's word, no. I'm just saying it matters. You can have the right word and the wrong spirit. And it's not biblical admonition, even if you're quoting scripture. You say, prove it to me. Sure, Satan quotes scripture, but he never does so from a right or an ordered spirit. So it's not just, am I quoting the word? It's what's, what's my heart behind it? We can have the proper instruction, but the wrong motivation. I cannot tell you how many times as a parent I have failed in this particular area. I cannot tell you the number of times that I regret as a leader failing in this particular area. What I saw was not incorrect, but the way in which I addressed it required a whole lot more maturity than I could in the moment muster. We can prepare the correct teaching, but deliver it with a really demeaning tone. And biblical admonition is the outflow of a life that is dwelling richly in God's word and then 
filled with the Spirit. Again, Colossians focuses on us dwelling in the Word of Christ richly, generously, abundantly. I don't have an issue if you read a verse a day. That is, that is not a problem. That is not a problem. That is a beautiful thing if you read a verse a day. But can I encourage you not just to read a verse a day? Can I encourage you to dwell in it deeply? And whatever that looks like for you. So I'm not concerned for you if you read a verse a day. What I'm concerned is when God wants to use your life to admonish somebody else, if we are dwelling in God's word, not what's the opposite of richly or abundant or generously, it is just shallow and scarcity. This is where we get prone to having the right scripture verse but the wrong motivation in heart or the wrong read on a situation. I'm gonna bring this home in a minute. Ephesians 3, verse 16a, which I read a moment ago, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more abundant the word of Christ dwells in us, the richer is it expressed to others. In fact, Jesus admonished us precisely how we are to root in and then pour out to others. And here's what he said. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then Jesus said something really, really, not hyperbolic, but clear. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I used to struggle with that. Like, well, I, I can do a lot of things. Like, I can do math. I can, do, I can do budgeting, I, I can drive a car, but how I many know that's not what Jesus is talking about? What he's talking about is for apart from me, you could do nothing of eternal value. You can do nothing of real significance. Jesus said to this to his disciples precisely after washing their feet and giving them the new love one another as I have loved you commandment that we have rooted all summer in. What Jesus is saying is specific is that you won't love others the way that I love you if you don't learn to abide in me or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, generously, and abundantly. Now let's flip over to Ephesians one more time. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't let your life be about inferior things, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Everyone say be filled. Be filled filled to overflowing. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Why do you sing in church? Because we are fulfilling God's word when we do so. Most of the theology that many people remember is not through teaching, it's through songs. Right? Most of the ways in which we're formed can be through music and song. Oftentimes Christians say, well, this is secular music and this is Christian music. You can do that, I don't think it's incredibly helpful. I think a better question to ask is what I watch, what I listen to, how does it form and shape my view of God? How does it form and shape my view of myself? And how does it form and shape my view of others? I think that is a more accurate way to think of things. And so there may be songs that are permissible for you to listen to, but they are not beneficial any longer. For some of you, you listen to music and it takes you right back when you were a rebellious teenager at 17 years old and you like the feeling of it, but it's actually the unsanctified part of your life that needs to die and it comes back. Look through your playlist and ask the Holy Spirit. Let's go through it together. 
Which, which ways do these things form me? Pause. If the preachers that you're listening to are making you more angry at people in the world, it's not the word that is being spoken, but the spirit behind it needs to be discerned. If it's making you more hypocritical, judgmental, if it's making you more self-righteous, what spirit is that? If it is not the Holy Spirit, it's someone else, and you don't need it. I'm not saying it's their fault, I'm just saying, what does it listen to? I had to turn off talk radio for a good year and a half. Because talk radio was nothing but criticism. And criticism is my fluent tongue. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't speak English well. I don't speak English good. <laughs> but I can, I can speak critically, effortlessly. It is the part of my life that needs to die. What's yours? So in Colossians, we are to dwell richly with the word of Christ. And in Ephesians, again, don't be drunk with wine. It's dead to Be filled with the spirit, addressing one another, as we just said. And because there's no division between word and spirit, the outflow is identical. Dr. Stuart Scott says this. Thus, the result of being filled with the spirit, Ephesians, and the result of having God's word dwelling within us, Colossians, is the same. When these two things happen, we dwell richly in God's word and we are full of the Holy Spirit, a loosened tongue to admonish one another well. I can tell when I am scarce, when I am filled with other things than the Holy Spirit, and when I am just skimming in God's word, I can tell because my words get short. My perspective changes. I see things and I can maybe see them accurately, but my heart isn't in the right place. And so Jesus not only teaches, counsels, exhorts, and sometimes warns others, he does this full of love. And looking to Jesus, I wanna show you something. To admonish well, we need to dwell richly in the word of Christ and we need to be filled with the spirit, but we also have to be in proximity to others enough, close enough to admonish them well. This is why biblical admonishment is not you and I just going around giving each other a piece of our minds. It's not what it is. In fact, that is the opposite spirit to what biblical admonishment is. When you and I do that, we are actually moving in the way of the culture and not in the way of the kingdom. And I don't say it to bring shame, I do it to bring awareness that when we're doing this, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you have had a lot of Christians just give you a piece of their mind, but never give you their heart, would you forgive us? Genuinely. Because we may have been correct here, but this was far from that. And this is not the way of Jesus. The greater the distance, the more prone we are to doing what we said earlier. We can hold the proper instruction, but we need to have a better understanding. You can prepare the correct teaching, but again, have the wrong tone. And Jesus had this inflow. He was the word, and he was filled with the spirit, but he also had an outflow. He lived close enough to discern how to admonish differently. I want you right now to think about how differently Jesus admonished Peter, John, the woman at the well, and the Pharisees. All from love, but incredibly differently. Like, incredibly differently. So the question is, how did Jesus know how to admonish differently? 
he had proximity. He dwelled richly, he is the word, but full of the spirit. Got into proximity to be able to know what is the wise thing, what is the best thing, how do I engage in this moment in a way that is meaningful? How do I teach, how do I counsel, how do I exhort, and yeah, maybe, how do I warn? And so, we, you and I live in a judgmental, judgmental cynical, critical, biting, tear-down culture. Yet today's one another of admonishment casts a vision for you and I to be countercultural to that spirit, to that way to live and that way to, to speak to one another and to address one another. Whether it is in word, whether it is verbally, it, it, it leads us in a countercultural way. And none of us will do this perfectly. But if you and I are to admonish well, we need to dwell richly in the word of God, to be filled with the spirit. But again, it can't just stop at me dwelling richly in God's word or me being filled with the spirit. I gotta get close enough proximity to you so that I can sense what it is and where it is that God is at work. By a show of hands, has anybody here in your entire life ever had somebody that bugged you? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. Has anyone had somebody that bugs you and then you got close to them in proximity and they shared something and when they shared that, it doesn't mean that they don't bug you anymore, but you had now a different level of insight that gave you compassion that you didn't have before. This is what Jesus did brilliantly. He dwells in the word, full of the spirit, and then he got into proximity. Proximity, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean I need to be in relationship for the next 15 years before I can say anything. In some instances, Jesus was in proximity with someone for 15 minutes. Level one listening is I hear what you're saying. Level two listening is you hear what I'm saying. Jesus practiced level three. Level three is I hear what you're saying, you hear what I'm saying, what is the Holy Spirit saying at this? The Holy Spirit is active when you are engaging with people and he wants to speak to your heart and life. And by the way, Dwelling richly in the word of Christ and being filled with the spirit is exactly why we are becoming heart strong next Sunday. It's precisely why we want to go on this journey together of becoming heart strong. Next Sunday, we begin a three-year adventure. Turn the person beside you and go, that's a long time. <laughs> Three years is just what it's going to take us to get through God's word. I'm not worried about that. It's going to take the rest of your life for God's word to get through you. Is you're never going to graduate from it, right? Why did it take the children of Israel so long in the wilderness? How long has it taken you? Like, I, 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 I'm 50, so I'm past 40 years into this thing. I'm still wandering in some areas. We look back at them like, man, what's wrong with you guys? Nothing. They're just humans. Same thing, I am struggling through things. I'm like, I, Ella, I should have nailed these things. I should never say to my wife, like you always do that. I should know these things. But I just give her room to grow in grace and that's my gift. <laughs> it's the gift that I am. 
See? The, yeah, one woman and a lot of men clap that, Lori. A lot of men clap that. Hey, Amen. It's what I am. It's the gift that I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Brother, we ain't gifts. We're something else. So that's why we're going to do that, though. Um, and remember, all of this, all of becoming heart strong. Uh, comes out of two core problems that we discussed way back at the beginning of the summer. Why are we going on this three-year adventure together? Um, because the Christian church needs to rethink the idea uh, that you are a Christian just because you said some words one day and that you never actually became a disciple of Christ. This is a problem. Not to harm that what God can do in an instant. I'm not harming justification, but you, you gotta follow it up with some steps. And lastly, um, what, we're what we're developing here at Life Center together is becoming heartstrong is a singular discipleship path rather than what you may be used to, which is a lot of churches, the larger that they grow, they develop a ministry for every single type of minister in the church. Kids, youth, young adults, singles, married, uh, divorced, and you can keep going on and on down the list. The more a ch church does that, the wider it gets, but the sh more shallow the discipleship becomes. And our culture is asking level eight, nine, and 10 discipleship questions. And most people in the church are discipled at levels one, two, and three. So our dominant, dominant emotion in the world is inadequacy, which leads to us then living private lives and not ambassadors for Christ, sharing our faith wherever we go. And we want to address these things head on, lovingly, and with grace. And so becoming heartstrong is all about Bible reading, dwelling richly in the word of Christ, spiritual disciplines, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us. There's an assessment we'll start next week. We've got group questions. We got it all in there for you, and we can't wait to show you.